Hello, welcome adventurers to the 14th episode of The Travelogue, a podcast in which I, Stephen Hoffert, my pronouns are he, him, and Lily Lavin, she, her, will be diving into the world of Faerun from the Dungeons & Dragons tabletop role-playing game. We'll go area by area, town by town, to provide a background of canonical lore, as well as suggestions of what type of counters you can run in the area, or what type of characters you could create whose backgrounds are based in the area. Today we are covering the north of Kalimshan and the city of Menon. We will give you lore on the locations and suggestions based on last week's conversation with Sophia. Lily, have you ever explored a ruin building or like a historical ruin? Uh, I don't know about a museum historical ruin, but yeah, I mean, like derelict warehouses are always a fun place to go. Or there's that one spot in Rocky Point where there's like the old, I don't even know what they used to be. They used to be like World War II towers in the water. And they're like these, I don't know, like stone cylindrical buildings that were, I don't know, they had something to do in World War One or II. Oh, okay. And they're like 90% gone now. Oh. There's only like the bottom floor and then like the basement floor. And when the tide goes out, you can get to them and climb through them and they're pretty gross but they're super cool we used to like go there and you know have a couple drinks while the tide came in and stuff Mm -hmm. it's pretty cool oh that's so cool yeah actually okay so because there's towers there's a place called tower beach right next to wreck beach in vancouver that had those same world war ii towers and yeah if you could get a ladder up to it you could go on top because it had like a viewing port and then down there you would go but it was all flooded once you got past the floor the the ground floor oh yeah I think I remember that place too. Yeah, these ones had like passageways. Not really, pa- they're not very big. They're only like, you know, 20 feet wide maybe, but they had weird little stone hallways and stuff. Something straight out of D&D. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think there there was a, actually a whole defense plan in um, the Vancouver Harbor to kind of like, there was cannon emplacements all along from leading from UBC all the way into inner Vancouver Harbor in case uh, anyone ever came with like warships. Right, that's cool. Cool, yeah. So, Sunatch even though it lies exposed to the sun, is a nightmare for northern Kalanshan. A site of many settlements over the centuries, Sunach is the name by which this massive ruin of cities is best known, and for good reason. The core of its evil emanates from the Imperial Mount, the high hill at the center of the Sun Empire's formal capital, Sunach. Over the centuries since the overthrow of the Sun Emperors, the Imperial City's ruins have grown to encompass the ruins of many of its satellites. Attempts have been made over the centuries to contain the evils of these ruins, and some parts of the perimeter still have a standing wall keeping the evils in. While the perimeter wall once encircled the ruins when it was built during the Strom's first reign, it now has 3 to 30 feet wide breaks along the eastern frontier of the ruins. So yeah, this is the huge ruined capital plus like the small city, small towns around the capital of the Sun Empire. It's pretty cool. Yeah. Classic. Um, I'm a sucker for ruins in D and D. Me too. Um, that sounds like a pretty pretty classic place to go in it. Pretty classic place to go in adventure. I also think it's cool that it's not been like rebuilt into a new city, rebuilt into yeah, reclaimed. It's like no, it's been evil for this whole time. Yeah, and the core of its evil emanates from the Imperial Mount, the high hill at the center of the Shun Empire's former capital. It's pretty cool. A lot of uh, you could pretty much. I'm sure your next paragraph is going to talk about what's there, but um, yeah, like you could throw anything here. Ruins are fantastic right. for that. Exactly, and it can also be a good spot for, like, a dungeon crawl that isn't a dungeon crawl. Right because it's outdoor ruins like a city right so like the the city can be the dungeon right mm-hmm, mm-hmm. 
which would be pretty cool. Like, instead of being stuck in these little walls, you're just walking through a destroyed city, you know, scared that around any corner could be a gaggle of uh, monsters. Yeah, it adds a new flavor, but it still has that kind of looking around corners, looking in buildings, opening doors to, like, find what treasures and evils you can find there. Yeah, exactly. While many dangers lurk among the ruins of Sunatch, Lack of water is not one of them. After a millennia, Dwarven-built pumps still operates many fountains in the Imperial City, Mamlukar, Iltakar, and Aegis, bringing fresh water to the surface. One of many things that brought the city low and began its curse after the death of King Silver was the placement of a dead black dragon into a wellspring beneath the Imperial City, and that water is still mildly poisonous. <laughs> Within the cities of Sunach, most everything was built of stone and survived the centuries relatively well. Some buildings provide basic shelter. Outside the two major cities and the tomb town, there's a li- tomb town. There's a little shelter beyond that is built from scrub trees and grasses. Only in the cities are there egresses into the crypts and the secrets below, and the dangers down there are even greater to the than those above. So why the fuck did they put? There's even a dungeon in this dungeon. Yeah, I mean classic. Why the fuck did they put dead black dragon in the well? I love how they didn't like. Are you are you going to explain that to me, or is that just like a little fun, just a fun little tidbit? They were like, hey, let's uh, take this guy that turns everything around it into poisonous swamps and uh, see what happens if we put a skeleton into our fucking drinking water. Just a placement. Someone <laughs> placed them there. <laughs> yeah, I wonder if it was yeah, like was it malicious, intentional? If they felled him there, or if like yeah, was it like someone trying to sabotage them? Yeah, was it malicious? I would, I think too with. Okay, yeah, there's a lot of running water and it's mildly poisonous. Here come the Yanti. They don't care about the poison. True. It's their new it's their new kingdom to start doing some evil from. What a it's just such a like if it was malicious, it's just such a specific way. What a weird way too, yeah. To, like well, yeah, like just put regular poison in the water. I guess it continues the effect over time though. Yeah, I, mean, I guess. In a weird roundabout way. I'm sure there's better ways. Well the bulk of the magical barriers and effects reside either at the walls or at the Pyrrhal Mount. There are wild magic effects all around the ruins of Sunatch. Here is a time stop stole still fighting to free Tathir from the Shun. There, beneath the temples of Bane and Merkel, are the three noble genies trapped in a huge crystal, imprisoned a thousand years ago by Shun the Fifth. Oh yeah, those guys, that's sweet. Permanent wall fire burns in the ruined art gallery of De Booker, with mortuary paintings and carvings shreddings all over the walls. Three skeletons have been trapped against a corner for centuries. Okay. <laughs> Weird. Major magic most sages know about Sunatch's ruins are defensive in nature. A type of ward or mythal reinforces the walls around the uh, ruins, preventing the escape at the ground level or by air of undead from the city's ruins. Fire-based spells work at maximum effect in Iltakar, and coal-based spells at minimum. That's cool. That's very cool. After much study, sages now know there are at least one mythal or mythal-like field in Sunatch. The following are some, but certainly not all of its powers. Centered at the palace, the mythal has a one-mile radius. Yeah, only wizards' necromatic spells work within the mythal, but magical items still operate as normal. Any missiles, thrown or fired, fly in this mythal as if fired into molasses. And paving stones of the streets and buildings are proof against stone shape and like spells, blocking easy access to the ruins. It's pretty cool. Yeah, the old, it's cool. The old like TSR writers just freaking loved mythals. Yeah, they love mythals. They just, just like really... this place gets 
This place gets a mythol. This place gets a mythol. Everybody gets a mythol. Exactly. They're like, we got to have mythols in here. Though I do like the idea of different spots where different, like these aren't crippling magical effects. I think it's really cool that, oh, only your necromatic spells work here. Like, yeah, yeah. And maybe you've studied about this. So you're like, okay, I'll stock all my necromatic spells this turn. Yeah, for learned casters, it's kind of a kick to the face. But for prepared casters, it's kind of cool. If you can properly yeah. foreshadow it, then it would give them a reason to be like, okay, let's prepare maybe some necromancy spells that I don't usually prepare. Exactly. Because all my other spells aren't going to work. I also like the fire cold spell thing. Yeah. Like, you know, fireball just does half damage or cone of cold does half damage, whereas fireball does double damage. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Trying to, f- like, figuring that out or, seeing, like, kind of hinting at them, I think that's really cool. As well, uh, if you have people who <laughs> like to stone shape, I guess, or try to mess around with stones, it's like, nope, can't do it. Yeah. As many monsters inhabit these ruins as live among the marching mountains or the forest of Mir. Thanks to the necromancer's corpse of the Shun Imperium, there are thousands of undead creatures sampling about many without intellect and others with little reason to take control of them. A squad of undead soldiers still fight to exterminate the orcs in Ilkatar. Many orcish zombies stramble around the ruins of Mamulark, with 300 orc skeletons dead since the year of the Black Horde. The undead orc seem to have a lich commander using tactics similar to those of the wizards of Mulspakar. Other undead monstrosities include vampires, crypt things, the lock liches of Debukare, and a few living walls among the restraining houses at Mimilark. Yo, I love crypt things. Crypt things. I'm, they're crypt things. Yeah, just, just some things you find in a crypt. crypt. You know Don't them. worry, they're scary. Yeah. <laughs> of the pack mentality monsters to expect, the most numerous are, as always, goblins, followed by hobgoblins, and surprisingly, an odd variant of Lizardman with a harder chitinous shell. The most successful among the smaller packs are the gnolls, who have ruled the grasslands around Aegis for 40 years. The most feared are the great fire drakes of Iltakar. Magical creatures and descendants of the dark are among the most fearsome of the Shunaxusins. Drow have infiltrated the underhalls and sewers beneath the Imperial City, only to be trapped once inside. They rule more than 30% of the Imperial City's underside. Lamia nobles, lesser Lamias, Lekrotars, doppelgangers, and more inhabit this place as well. It's just whatever your campaign needs. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's like... Just... Do you want gnolls? There's gnolls. Do you want... <laughs> whatever you want here, it's here. It's in canon. Just go haywild. Do whatever you want. Um. So where is this on the map? If I'm looking at the new, the latest map? The latest map. Um, I see the river. I see the river Aegis there. And I see Memnon, Memnon and uh, Miratma. Yeah. So it's right on the river Aegis. Like um, by the marching mountains? Uh, north. It's, it's, nor- it's right north of the river Aegis, right like right near the ocean so let me look the map you're looking at is so like halfway between muratma and memnon exactly exactly that oh shit like on that trade route well not on it just off of it but yeah oh yeah damn i was thinking this would be a good place because it is like right on the border of kalanshan and kind of in this area that everyone's forgotten this might be a good place for all of the genie lords and like janassi and tiefling who are more on the hated side and have who have been overthrown any of the surviving ones could retreat here and try to be like make a new army like because they would they're saying like there are some smarter ones like Knowles, but like if a genie shows up and can tempt them with power or like get control of these people then they would have a monster army to 
try and retake Kalimshan. Yeah, or I was gravitating towards some kind of quest of like a group of people that are kind of imprisoned in there. They mm. like bit off more than they can chew and you've got to go in and rescue them. And like right. there is um, an undefeatable amount of monsters. So the quest becomes getting in, getting the people and protecting them until you're out. That's cool. That's very cool. And then maybe the people in there are like, well, we don't want to leave. We <laughs> want to turn this place into our place. And you're like, are you insane? Do you not see what's going on? And they go, nope. And then you have like this decision of like force them out, let them stay to their death or figure out a way to deal with the endless hordes that are impossible to kill. And with the doppelgangers in there, they could think you're there too. You've like found them and then, oh, nope. Or I mean, maybe their leader, the leader of these people is a doppelganger. The leader was killed in the night, replaced with a doppelganger. And this is why they have this idea that if they stay, they can stave off the monsters and build a new... Um, city for themselves because this insidious doppelganger is kind of uh manipulating them all yeah that's a great idea and then that'd be kind of cool because of course you would put in a way to defeat the endless hordes you wouldn't kill them all one by one there'd be something in there that like you know the off switch yeah and then maybe you're like the party's like oh damn we did this thing that like really seemed impossible and we've given a home to these tieflings and genasi that didn't have a home that were kind of like expats and we've we've done this great thing mm-hmm. And then, like, you go down to Calumport, and then you're like, we gotta head back up north. Let's stop there. You stop there, and because their leader was a doppelganger, and you failed to figure that part of the quest out, everything's just haywire, yeah. cuckoo bananas fucked. And you're like, oh, oops, I thought we did a good thing. That's cool. And it'd be like, you still did a good thing, they still have a good home, but, like, they're, mm. um, maybe it's just, like, questionable what's going on there now, and y'all are like, I don't like the direction this is going in. Let's That's keep great. an eye on this. Also, I think if you wanted to make like an interesting drow character, like have one that's been stuck in the Imperial City and then like got out, was tired of the constant fighting of other undead and stuff and like has this kind of like, you know, monster hunter background or like fighter background. But he's like, yeah, I'm done with that. I want to either find my way back to the Underdark or I just want to find a life that's better than fighting for a small scrap of land in this giant ruin. You got separated on the into the top of the city couldn't find your way back to the lower city so you like skipped over to memnon to be like send me home to my drow brethren and sisters and memnon's like we don't fucking know how to get to the underdark and you're like and so you spend a while in memnon and kind of acclimate and you're like huh maybe i don't want to go back to the underdark (laughs) that's kind of cool here (laughs) and then memnon's like that's cool we're glad you made that decision for yourself but also you gotta go we don't like drow (laughs) and you're like oh no is this a sign of things to come for me (laughs) is this going to force me into a life of adventuring yeah i think those are good good characters from there oh and here's a little map here's sunat huge yeah it's huge it's absolutely huge you see there's like multiple cities within it yeah yeah that's sweet and then yeah it's right on the river yeah, it is a huge. I'll post this on our on our social. So like, there's Ilkazar. There's the like, it is a huge city, and it's multiple towns within like a large walled area. This could be like a month yeah. of your campaign, or multiple months of your campaign, as you're going through the different destroyed areas and trying to find your way through. It'd be a really good place for like a survivalist arc because of how big this is. You have like a little survivalist arc of getting through this area where like food and drink is hard to come by. It's all poisoned. Yeah. Yeah. With a poison water. Yeah. 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 And even if you have someone that can do, you know, purify food and drink, I mean, that's still a spell slot every day they're having to use on this. Yeah. I love in the bottom right corner, this one building that's just like egg building. Yeah. It's like, that's where we kept our egg. I don't know. 
It's just it's just it's just a building with an egg on it's top of it crack. that's a little bit yeah. cracked. So, it's a little cracked egg. It's just egg building. <laughs> yeah, the Imperial Mound. That is, if that's what I'm looking at in that mound thing, that's huge. Yeah, it's cool. Yeah, it's funny that like it looks like there's a harbor, but then you look at the picture of the mound, and you're like, that's not really. I guess maybe there's a tunnel from there, but <laughs> yeah, no, I think that'd be really cool. I think like yeah, work your way through trying to and like use the mythal like yeah purify food and drink it, it can it's a ritual but maybe you say like oh the rituals ritual spells don't work here also like in ilkazar when you're in that first city that's where fire does more but then once you get out of ilkazar and you go in the imperial city right oh now it's only necromancy like you'd have new issues every area that you went to. right i forgot that purify food and uh, drink was a ritual i mean either way like just long resting in this place would be difficult yeah yeah and then also like maybe you start making the more intelligent races like the hobgoblins and stuff you like make deals with them you're like okay we're only here for this or like we can get rid of this faction for you if you just let us have like sleep and have some of your food you know yeah oh that'd be really cool i yeah. think that'd be really fun it's pretty cool also i will yeah but like if anyone took this over or was able to like kind of calm the like bring them together they would have a huge area to then rule from oh yeah and they're right on the river so it's they'd be able big. to like yeah start sending their people out so while not as expansive as the ruins of shunach the ruins of mem nonar are far older. The city, the current city of Memnon lies across the river from the fallen city that was built by Ifrit and later rebuilt by dwarves, at least twice by humans before being abandoned. This once magnificent city of stone was the capital of the empire long since swallowed by the fury of the Kalim Desert, and magic and mystery remains there still. The ruins riddle the cliff and sea caves along the coast, and many remain after more than two millennia. This is a favorite site for bandits and any sort of monster. So this would also be a very good place if the genie of Jadassi ran to Memnon. Yeah, 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 this place is cool. So next is Memnon. The city of soldiers, the Scarlet City, the Desert's Gateway, and the Garrison City are all titles long held by Memnon since its founding by the Army of Fire and the great Ifrit Pasha Memnon. But for 6,000 years, the city has been ruled by mortals. Despite the focus on military in the city, Memnon is a good fishing port and important trade stop. It is the last Kalanchite port before heading north, and the first port for trade goods from the north coming south to reach. Memnon's most recognizable feature is easily spotted from leagues off along the tradeway or out at the seas. The rich red clay and mud of the area lead to striking color to much of the city. When baked into bricks, the red clay and mud actually brighten to scarlet. Memnar also uses these as bright tiles, and the use of important tiles of stone from other areas of Kalachan and the Sword Coast in one's home or place of business was common for the higher class in the 12th century DR. Oh shit, you got sandstone? No. Oh shit, your house is green? Yeah, you're... Yo, you got green <laughs> tiles here instead of red? Your house Yo, is when did gray? You get, wow. When did you get promoted at work? Exactly. I didn't know you had this kind of money. <laughs> Why have I been splitting the bill with you at the tavern? You got you got green tile money? You <laughs> got tiles? you you got gray brick money? Yeah. Mine's just this boring, bright scarlet red. No, this city sounds cool though, just from like a visual perspective. Yeah. Bright red city it's pretty cool. bright red city like in the edge of the desert i think that's such a cool like yeah image to have yeah yeah yeah, yeah i really love that also just like you would go you would see the ruins of memonar first and then you would get to Mem- memon so you might be like yeah 
combing through the ruins and be like, this place, what's happened to it? It looks terrible. And they're like, oh, wait, that, okay, uh, the city's over there. <laughs> <laughs> I imagine it's also, and it might get into this or not, but I would imagine this place would be like teeming even more so than everywhere else with caravans just because like you got really stock up before going through that desert. Yeah, very true. I would also imagine, I don't know if this is going to be backed up by the lore, but I would also imagine that they would have a pretty strict or pretty large base for mercenaries and possibly... right. If I was running this, the lore might not back this up, but I would maybe add in like a pretty strict mercenary guild mm. because of that fact. Of course, some, you know, bureaucrats going to come in and capitalize on the fact that there's thousands of mercenaries here just because they're about to go through the desert. Yeah. Right. I imagine this would be a hot spot for that. You know, desert guides, desert mercenaries, all of that probably be big business here. With the new kind of upheaval in 5e, I think that would be a perfect thing to play is maybe the Zentarum or maybe a large mercenary guild has used the fact that there's not, like all the leaders, all the genie rulers and all the, the magical Dujanasi rulers have been kicked out. There's these people who are trying to rebuild Memnon and they're like, hey, we can come in here and we can help out. There's no army anymore. We can help out. We have mercenaries. We can help you protect against Memonar and we can also give you like guides like we're here to help let us like you know let us help you yeah i mean i was just thinking for like just the sheer because calimport is such an important trade place i was just thinking like there's got to be like yeah. a heck ton of merchants having to go through here to the desert oh yeah 100 um, 100 yeah but yeah that's cool or maybe like a lot of the mercenaries from who are fighting in the genie wars of 4e now like live in memnon to try to help people through caravans yeah, that makes sense retired retired soldiers and stuff exactly retired soldiers and stuff i think it'd be cool to play that up because like it says it's an army town but i feel like army town when there was a more established government here right very few palaces still remain from the old city but the external city walls are intact from the era of skyfire they unlike the standard red mud brick of the rest of the city are made of a dark smooth rock that seems totally immune to heat and wear they shine and are cool to the touch no matter what are the surrounding conditions. The large block tower over the main northeastern gate and the gate itself are also made, uh, made of the same material. And these have withstood dragon's breath and fireballs without any damage whatsoever. Despite the best efforts of armorers, weaponsmiths, and mages alike to preserve this heat resistance, the dark shale-like rock loses its special properties once separated from walls or gates and becomes common coal. What a weird... That's really cool. Yeah, it's super cool, but what a weird property. Like, how does it, how does it work? How did they build buildings of it like i wonder if it's because memnon the the ifrit was from here I wonder if it's like something from the elemental plane of fire that he pulled through the portals yeah maybe it's just like and like the ifrits were able to build from it the dark shale like rock loses its special properties once it's separated from the walls or gate like that's the thing is is if it loses its properties once it's separated from the wall did it have those properties like as a mineral before it was made into a wall or someone must have magically enhanced it enchanted yeah and magically enhanced it or like smelted it magically you know and then when it's it's like a, a full piece maybe they like it's a special smelting technique that the efforts use and they like warm it up with their effort fire and then that like makes it yeah maybe yeah it's cool though yeah it's really cool yeah i like it as like because it's it's like dragon breath or fireball, you could use it if like a dragon is attacking Memnon, like get to the tower. I do think it's really funny though how like a fire tyrant would build fire retardant buildings. Like it's like Here's the thing. Here's the it's thing. It's like yo, all someone has <laughs> your generals are going against you. <laughs> yeah, but I mean also all you gotta do is kick this guy out of his house and lock the door and he can't touch yeah. you now. Yeah, that's very true. <laughs> it's like <laughs> 
You made your house impervious to yourself, you idiot. <laughs> That's very true. Get us now. We're just going to shoot arrows at you through the window. <laughs> idiot. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> Shouldn't have come outside for that 10 gold. <laughs> yeah, no, that's true. That's fair. You greedy genie. The Black Flagon. This edifice is a crowded, smoky, low-lit classic tavern, a battered wooden furniture, low beam ceilings of sort drinks are overpriced but served swiftly by an energetic and ample staff sprites few folk know that the bold family of sprites own the tavern but many have learned that to tease harm or mock the sprites is to be shut out of the flagon forever by means if need be of several concealed magic items a formidable blasting power and the professional efforts of a hired band of adventurers the flagon five Privacy and quiet are known to the Flagon and is the favored meeting place of many. I just like sprites running the tavern. I think it's really cute. Yeah. Yeah. I also like how they have, like, it kind of teases here. I mean, tease, harm, or mock is a little bit uh, standard procedure for getting kicked out of a bar. Yeah. But I like the idea of maybe them still having some of their, like, fey logic right. around with them. So it's like, what they consider mocking a normal person considers like just being like top of the morning to you and they're like what the morning has no top you're mocking me get out <laughs> that'd be great <laughs> you know it's like it's a, concepts can't have a top and a bottom yeah, get out of here <laughs> you think we're stupid and then like shoot you with a huge <laughs> magic a huge magic like yeah staff or something also yeah, i, like I just love the idea i i really you know the ginyu force from Dragon Ball Z. Oh yeah, yeah, like yeah. A, yeah. Like the flag and five. Yeah, flag and five. Like just a really showboaty, dumb adventuring party. That's like, if you stop and think about it, you're like, you're an adventuring party that is bar security. Like, what happened? You obviously aren't that great. And they're like, no, we are the flag and five. Yeah, I mean, they're not an adventuring party. They're just bodyguards. <laughs> they're just bodyguards, but they still have a name. They have a cooler name than any bar adventuring parties, Lily. <laughs> <laughs> like a fucking critical role group <laughs> the fine gold chain this club is easily found since it is a northern style fairy tale castle built of sandstone with slender turrets little brown balconies frankly perilous flying bridges and little grinning carved gargoyles everywhere open to adventurers and to those who wish to see talk to and dally with adventurers it serves as a site of ongoing revelry night and day. It hosts feasts of strange monster meets and recruitment sessions for venturing companies or for caravan owners desiring to hire established adventuring bands, mercenaries, or just individual daring folk for various private tasks, the most common of which is caravan guard duty through the desert. The tales told here are of legendary color. Out-of-work adventurers often put on weapon feat demonstrations or models for painters or lovers of live tableau. Weapons and armor praisers and swift rapier craftsfolks are on staff. The food and drink are first-rate. Yes, this touches on the uh, desert guard economy. The desert guard, yeah. But I like I like this place being. Um, it kind of turns into like the adventurers guild. But just from the first mm -hmm. paragraph, I really like this place being like America town. Yeah, exactly. You know, <laughs> like it's like it's like you go to you go to Japan and you go and eat in America town because you're like mm, my home. And so it's like you come from Waterdeep and you get to Memnon and they've just got this hyper stereotypical Waterdavian pub where it's just like almost offensive. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like look at the castle and gargoyles. And <laughs> yeah, and they're like this is how it's like up there, right? And you're like ah. I mean, I am going to stay here, but no. <laughs> <laughs> also, like, this is monster meats. I, I like the idea. They're like, 
yeah, you guys like kill and eat a lot of goblins, right? Like, here's goblin. Here's a goblin burger. It's like, no, we don't eat them. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, what? <laughs> Would you like some steamed troll? <laughs> exactly. Uh, yeah, no, I think it's a good idea. It's fun. I also just love anywhere that people are putting on demonstrations or like acting out their feats. I think that's a really good place for like a boisterous bard or someone like that. Yeah, it sounds like a fun little, fun little uh, jaunty place to stay. Yeah, exactly. As the site of the last Guild Arcane founding, which took place here more than 500 years ago, Memnon has always been friendly to wizards. Many mages are inducted into the navy, or at least brought on board for use as added navigational aids, or powerful and unconventional defenses against pirates. I just add this because I like pirate mages, pirate wizards. <laughs> no, it's pretty cool. Like I just like the idea I like that. of some like navy ship or something. They like, just have like a bunch of wizards running it, like a full wizard group. Yo, cannonball cannons? Nah, we got Jerry. He he, he casts catapult all day. <laughs> he just catapults everything. <laughs> exactly. A figure virtually unknown within the city, but famous beneath the waves. The Siafialis is the son of the aquatic elves from the Coral Kingdom near the Evermeet. He is wandering the seas in search of a place where he belongs. He is something of a celebrity in the seas around Kalmshan and Tithir, as he is the one of the very few sea elf mages. Of late, he has found himself fascinated with exploring service cultures and is preoccupied with finding a teacher suited to impart him the finer points of using a steel longsword, such as those the local elves scavenge from the sunken Pasha's palace far to the east. You've just got this, like tourist sea elf running around and everyone's like what what who's this guy i just imagine him being like fabio like huge hair sea elf and everyone being like uh, like talking to him like oh he's the most eligible bat- bachelor i've heard he's a prince from under the sea <laughs> <laughs> and then he's like no i just want to learn how to use a sword <laughs> yeah i've never seen one before but yeah i just would i would play him up as like a pretty boy and like everyone in the town talking about oh vialis oh vialis <laughs> yeah and he's just some him yeah, exactly also i just wanted to add him here because he's a sea elf and i know how you feel about sea elves yeah they're not my favorite this guy sounds funny though he sounds funny and coral kingdom will definitely cover sooner than later so i mostly don't like tritons right 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 fair um which are fish people i think sea elves are yeah. moderately better but also there's just like the sea i'm from the sea yeah <laughs> oh you adventure on land i adventure in the sea <laughs> yeah i love that he's famous i was like what's he doing he's the only one here like what's <laughs> is he just like doing flips out of the water for boats like he's the only sea elf here what the fuck well that's it too i think i would play him up as like maybe being a bit obnoxious or dumb so that like, he got kicked out of the coral kingdom like oh we don't if you ever went there like oh vialis yeah nah he's not great yeah that guy He's not great. Yeah, he's a bit much, huh? And you're like, oh, no, everyone loves him back on the surface. They're like, really? That guy? They're like, yeah, everyone thinks he's like the height of sea <laughs> elf culture. That, that guy? <laughs> the Theater of All Faiths is an ancient stadium and theater from the days of the early Kalim Empire under genies. While once merely a theater, it is now used as a temple for any and all faiths. Most often, it is used for important ceremonies whose crowds would exceed a temple's capacity. The unique nature of the theater, though, involves its seats. If people begin to sing, the stone slab benches beneath them reverberate with the notes, slightly echoing them. After five minutes of singing, the seats pulse and sparkle with unknown magic, and the seated singers are levitated about three feet above their seats and maintain that elevation until the singing stops. Rising the volume of the song does not change the elevation. The singers feather fall back to their seats upon the conclusion of the song. Only singing produces its effects, and few can find the true source of the enchantment, as the whole theater glows from ancient magic when 
divinations are performed. What's this, like 4D? There's like a 4D <laughs> theater in, Cal- in uh, Memnon? Exactly. In Memnon. I just like that idea, though, of like, yeah, you sing and you levitate. Maybe you show up and you see a bunch of people levitating. You're like, what is happening in this, in this church? What is it? What are those things called that Cineplex has? The 4D seats? Those like chairs. The seats that like, they've oh, got right. a name oh, for I them. Mean, yeah. Um, I, I know what you mean, though. Yeah. <laughs> they move around and stuff. <laughs> 4D, 4D, yeah, 4D theater. I love it. I, I just think it. it's cool. I think it's a cool little like flavor, a little bit of spice to put on your your normal temple visit. Yeah, it's a nice little nice little place. Also, like it that glows when you like use detect magic. I think that'd be really fun if you like hide something in there. Like now, this whole thing's magic. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> the protector's house is a small but splendid two-story temple carved of distinctive emerald marble from the Deep Week Mountains north of Vilon Reach. Its four caryatid columns along its front colonnade depict the protective gods revered there within. Wait, it's just the stone is from the Vilon Reach. Yeah, exactly. Right. The stone is from there. Yeah. Emerald marble, I think that's like the Holundeth. They use that too. Right. Valkyr, Shanducal, Saloon, and Ibrindul. The great barrel-chested bearded figures of a ship's captain stands for Valkyr, his three lightning bolts used as cloaking clasps, a shielding hand across his brow as if to peer across the city. The seemingly windswept male figure with long hair and traveler's garb stands for Shandakul, his holy symbol carved to the base upon which he stands. The regal and lovely form of Saloon stands proud. Through her carved stone form is clad only in carved mists and sparkles that emanate her holy symbol all around her body. The final column is that of a monstrous fire lizard, its long body and tail coiled beneath it. While many outsiders consider it curious, Kalanchites merely shrug at this representation of Ibradul, and the four shrines within the marble temple are all in separate areas, all decorated in the most orthodox methods of their respective faiths. Nice little temple. So Iberdul. Do you know Iberdul? Yeah, he's like some deity of what, like stealth and caves and shit. Exactly. He's like, like yeah, like a nothing deity. So uh, well, he's a lesser deity. Also, isn't he? Think he's dead now? I think he is dead now. Also, he's called the Lurker in the Darkness. The Lurker in the Darkness. Yeah, I think he's. I think he's dead now. <laughs> Someone killed him. I think so. Yeah. But he might be back though from Five E. Like I don't. I don't think he's in Five E. Is the thing. Like I think he. I think he oh, died. Okay in third or second edition like i don't think he's sur- i don't think he survived one of the sunderings right 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 yeah i mean a lot died and came back i just don't think this one did or no one no one checked up i mean there's just nothing for him past third edition and he's listed as power level dead power right right and like yeah some came back but like a lot didn't right true worshippers in kalmshan and other areas of the shining south claim that ibrandul watches over humans who venture into the hostile underground areas aiding and guiding those who serve him when they are in need. Iberdul's worship began in the prehistory of Kalmshan, sometime after the defeat of the Jinn by the Dark Elf Raiders from the city of Golandirth, located deep beneath the desert sands. These humans served the drows as slaves for centuries, unable to flee the subterranean city because of their fear of the all-enveloping darkness. The humans eventually escaped when a monstrous lizard emerged from the darkness, drove off the dark elf overseers, and led the slaves into the surrounding wilds of the Underdark. The former slaves eventually returned to the surface and brought with them the tales of the Lord of the Dark Depths to the surface. Humans continued to worship Imrandul, albeit with a slightly different representation and set of beliefs. So I feel like they just saw a giant fire lizard and then they were like, I guess that was a god. God. <laughs> yeah. That's a god. I like the idea of a city under the desert. Yeah. I really like the idea of maybe you get TPK'd in the desert and then it's like 
cutscene as you get pulled under the sand and then you wake up in this under desert city. It's quite cool. Mm, that's um, very cool. And yeah, Ibranduil is dead. Mm-hmm. He's not in any 5e source books, not mentioned okay. in them. And mm. <laughs> brought up um, a chosen during the second sundering, a female drow named Ashan Astra who was just immediately captured by the Red Wizards of the Fae. Oh, no. <laughs> it's like, you're my chosen, lesser, This lesser deity was like, I want to get in on the chosen stuff. And the Red Wizards were just like, <laughs> That's probably why he didn't make it to the to 5e then, because it, the whole chosen thing was to get enough followers to remain relevant. And, like, I guess he just became too irrelevant. And, and on AO was like, no, nah, you're done. Yeah, I mean, he also... I know the second centering also was like consolidating a lot of shit. Yeah, exactly. Because there was just too many gods doing too much too stuff. Too many gods. But yeah, I do like them having, like, especially now, say in 5e, after this whole upheaval, there's just this like temple and everyone's like, yeah, I don't really know who the fire lizard is. <laughs> yeah. Like there's a, there's a, there's like, I don't really know what God that is. He's just kind of there. Never, never really asked yeah. about it. I recognize these other gods, but I don't know about this. Yeah. One. I don't really know who this one is. Maybe it's the, Lizard god? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> the god of the fire news? Yeah, maybe it's like a really bad Tiamat? I don't know. Coming up next is all to Elor. Um, the Kalim Desert, when uninfected by the powers raging above and within it, the desert is a relatively stable salt flat. On a day-to-day basis, though, the desert is constantly shifting, unstable, and barren region dominated by magic, the raw power of elemental beings, and the seething hatred of its two prisoners, Kalim and Mennon. The Kalan is not a naturally occurring desert, as one could surmise from the fact it is surrounded by all sides by rivers and ocean. Israel's that doesn't okay, but that doesn't make sense because there's actual deserts in the world that are covered that are surrounded by rivers and yeah. oceans. It's that that's anyways. <laughs> <laughs> anyways, is result of terrific magical events still at play. The magical binding of two great genie lords to their battlefield created this wasteland since so few the other thing about it is is they call this a salt flat yeah and like the salt flats are like flat yeah deserts they don't have sand dunes and stuff no. yet the, most of the official art of the kalamshan desert has sand dunes yeah it has sand dunes and stuff. so like it's not a salt <laughs> you can't tell me it's a salt flat and then never depict it as such yep Okay, go off, Tui. <laughs> Since so few people are willing to brave the dangers of the inner desert to fret out its mysteries, only a rare few realize that the genie overlords Kalam and Mennon live on a transmuted form to this very day. And their effect on the ongoing rage at their situation is evident throughout the desert. In general, most folks who travel this wasteland describe it either as flat and barren plain for miles upon miles or as a rolling desert of sand a will with dust and sandstorms. In mm. truth, it is both, depending on where a traveler stands and when. So they're like, it's both a salt flat and sand dunes. Yeah, and sand dunes, yeah. Wildlife lives here despite inconsistencies of terrain and climate, though it is almost all small rodents and reptiles that have adapted to the conditions. One notable plant that is adapted to the Calum Desert, the Calum Cactus, as it is known, is a prickly plant that rarely grows taller than four inches high. However, the plant and its roots are incredibly broad. The roots run three times wider than the plant itself and has, has enough mobility to temporarily raise its roots to absorb water and shove them deep within the ground to prevent the loss of moisture. Calum cacti are the primary food source of many creatures of the calum. Oh yeah, if you ever want to uh, make Kyoktum's ointment, 
this is that rare cactus from the desert that you need. Oh yeah, it's it's the, to make <laughs> to make Kyoktum's ointment. You need a rare cactus from the desert. That's it. That's exactly it. This is the cactus. In one campaign, I kept trying to. We were playing nowhere near a desert. We were in like yeah. freaking Neverwinter. Every single person we met, I was like, "Do you have a rare cactus from the desert?" Because I really just wanted to make Kyoktum's ointment. And I was like, I, I, do you have a rare cactus? Not a specific cactus, just a rare cactus from the desert. Just a rare one? And everyone was like, you'll see it too often. Everyone was just like, what? No. <laughs> so yeah, I was thinking, if Memnon and Kellen had been freed, do you think the desert is, of course, it wouldn't go 100% back to, but do you think it's like less intense now? And maybe there's more vegetation now or more like animals now because it's less unpredictable? From what I've... No, from the Drizzt books, no. Oh, okay. I think. Although, when was that particular book? I don't remember when the book they went to Kalimshan was written. Probably third edition, but I'm not. I'm not positive. Yeah, so that would have been. After- I mean, maybe that's maybe that's why so much of it is depicted as sand dunes. Maybe it just went to be a classic desert after. Exactly. I think like classic desert and like more predictable. So then, like, yeah, the more because like before it what would happen is like callum would get angry or do something and like make the winds go up unnaturally strong or memnon would be pissed and like the ground would get super hot yeah. and crack and so like without that i feel like there could be a lot more vegetation here a lot more animals here yeah true which, which makes it more interesting if you're traveling through it true. nomads of the wastes despite the harsh conditions and unforgiving land some people choose to live within the desert's confines. Nomads of the Waste migrate and live life similar to the nomads of the Shining Plains. There are tribes of people who have banded together to ensure their independence from oppression and still eke out a decent life. They partially support themselves by recovering items and lost curios from the desert ruins of more than a dozen lost cities, selling them to others or bartering them for items they need. Few of these items are magical and those that are the nomads keep. All the recovered items are, however, noteworthy to sages of history, architect, and metalwork. No fewer than 500 nomads divided into three tribes dwell among the desert wastes. Even while trading within the markets of Teshbol, it is rare to hear nomads speak for more than five words in succession during haggling. So I thought this would be a great place to put those goliaths we talked about with Sophia, the, like, desert goliaths. Yeah, true. I think it'd be really yeah. cool. Um, they could be on uh, one of those things. Are not they like boogie boogie boards? Oh yeah, right, right. Like like sand sailors kind of thing. Yeah, they could be on little sand sailors sailing around. Um, I think these guys would be sweet. They could give you so many plot hooks, especially concerning these lost cities. Yeah, great way. These you need to find one. People would be a great way to uh, push you to one of those cities. Yeah, exactly. You need to find one of those cities, or you're like maybe some you went to a place to look for it, and you're like, no, it's been picked clean, and now you have to talk to the tribes and like deal with them to figure out who who got to it because yeah. it's like a magic item so they've kept it so like i know you have it but you have to like gain their trust first it's pretty cool i think they've got a lot of uh, a lot of utility for a bunch of different kind of quests also be a fun place to make a character be like yeah my character was a desert nomad who like was born in that life and brought up in it but you know wanted to see the world or just like or maybe found a magic item that like was a war was a what you call it one of those hexblade weapons found the hexblade weapon is like oh i'm being drawn now to something different true to some adventure or you got stuck in a sandstorm and uh, lost your way in the desert got lost ended up at kalimport or memnon yeah and you were like well shit can't find my tribe can't find your tribe you know you decide to uh spend some time in the city and you're like huh okay and you uh, get embroiled in something that starts your adventure and career 
You join a you join a mage school to learn locate <laughs> creature, and then that's when you start adventuring. <laughs> Get better at magic. Yeah, yeah, that'd be a cool character. I think desert character. Yeah, they'd be really cool. Innumerable lizards, arachnids, insects of both poisonous and harmless, rodents, rabbits, weasels, toads, and snakes call this land their home. Wow. The largest non-reptilian surface creatures rarely grow more than nine inches at length, and vultures, occasionally hawks near the desert's fringes, are the largest birds. But as I said, I think this would be a cool place to play now post Callum being free, Callum and non being banished. Maybe the creatures are growing larger now. Maybe you have a bunch of these like uh, giant versions of them because they have like no natural predators. True. That'd be cool. I don't know if they'd be able to keep up. The reason things in deserts are small is because... Yeah, because there's not enough food. Yeah, and also um, smaller surface area to get too hot. But, mm, right. I mean, this world has magic in it. So, like, yeah, <laughs> that'd be pretty cool, though. I mean, the next thing I'm reading here in the thing is about a giant animal that lives there. So, yeah. <laughs> Desert purple worms beneath the sands and the salt flats of the Callum, where the largest of its inhabitants are found. There are three distinct groups of purple worms that burrow beneath the desert floor. This variety of purple worm is similar to the thunder herder worms in its habitat and its predilection for traveling groups. Normal purple worms are solitary. It also excretes sand like a thunder herder. However, these worms are exactly like normal purple worms in their size, diet, and mode of attack. They sense their prey through vibrations on the surface from above, and anything mobile that weighs more than 10 pounds is detected by them within 1d12 hours. Whatever magic protects the trade road also keeps the purple worms from disturbing it, as no worm has ever tunneled up under the stone road. That's cool. <laughs> That's very cool. Yeah, yo, purple worms are sick. They're so scary. Yeah. <laughs> they're so scary purple worms are terrifying oh this just also i was looking up thunder herders which are just mm. third edition and first edition smaller less combative non-aggressive purple worms okay okay boring purple worms but the fact that they grow in groups yeah. here is terrifying <laughs> oh i know purple worms are challenge rating 15 they've got like 300 hit points their bite is ridiculous damage, and they just they can swallow you. They can swallow you, which is terrifying their, if you're stuck in there. Their stinger does ridiculous damage. They can tunnel. They can swallow your friend and then just tunnel away. Yeah, exactly. They're terrifying. They're gargantuan. They're terrifying. Yeah, I think it'd be fun. Like, with that 10 pounds and 1d12 hours, you roll it, and you're like, yeah, okay, you keep traveling through the desert, and then you're like... You hear rumbling. Yeah, it'd be terrifying. Escape the purple Better worms. Get going. Yeah, exactly. Depending on your uh, level at the time. It could be like just a runaway encounter. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, for most levels. But yeah, I think that's a really cool thing to have with a sailor. Maybe the sailor, like you said, the sailing skiff. You, they they made it so it doesn't have that the right the vibrations that like draw them, so you can get away from them. Right. Yeah, they've kind of adapted yeah. to the life in here to uh, move either, yeah, avoid the vibrations or just be moving quick enough that it doesn't attract them. Yeah, or maybe they, like, use magic to, like, make vibrations far away from them. Things like that. It's classic. Very cool. Desert Worms is uh, a fun. It's classic. It's, you know, if it... I always think of the purple worm. Whenever I think of the purple worm, I always think of it coming out of a desert. Exactly, exactly. Very, um, because of Dune, I would imagine. Exactly. Yeah, no, I think Dune might be the first one, if, if not that. There's also, uh, there's an old myth in the Mongolian desert that I think maybe what Dune got from in the, the Mongolian desert having giant mongolian death worms if you look them up on wikipedia oh that's cool and it was like a thing that like uh explorers there were like no i totally saw the like 
remnants of the edge or I saw one. Uh, so it was like an urban myth around the uh, Mongolian desert for the longest time. That's cool. So uh, I'll finish up by acknowledging that in 2E, there's a whole six paragraphs dedicated to the mechanics of Callum interacting and messing with people in the desert through wind and Memnon doing the same from the ground. Love that. And while I enjoy where Callum Shant is in the current lore, I'm sad that there's not that sentient desert. Like it was so cool. There was, there's a whole large paragraph about like, if Callum's angry at you, he'll do this. If he just is trying to mess with you, he'll do this. If like Memnon is pissed at you, he'll do this. Yeah, just throw it back in, change the names. Yeah, say it's like that's the quest you're here for is some funky genies are at it again and you need to avoid you know, Callum Shan's freaking out because the djinn are back. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So like one of them for Memnon was underneath you would start start getting hot, like slowly hot and then really hot to the point that you get hurt and then the ground would crack and you would fall within the ground and then it would like envelop you in this like burning heat if you like you get stuck in the burning heat. It's pretty sweet. It's like layer actions. Yeah. And then the wind could blow you um, and if you really piss it off, it would, could blow you so hard that you fly back an amount of 1D 100 miles. Oh, damn. That's sweet. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. And this was all protected. You'll be protected if you're on the tradeway, uh, which we'll talk about um, next week. There's a lot of protections on the trade road to keep it from being destroyed, but yeah. That's cool. Yeah, it's really cool. So yeah, what just with like Memnon and kind of Northern Kalamshan, is there any kind of character ideas that we haven't talked about pop into your head or any kind of campaign plot hooks that you were thinking about? Um, well, I mean, we brought up the survivalist campaign in the ruined city yeah. or the one of, that I just mentioned of, you know, gin or back and everyone's freaking the fuck out and then you can bring back this kind of living desert mechanics. Character-wise, I mean... Either someone from the desert, uh, one of the desert, desert, uh, just the desert tribesmen, your desert nomad. Yeah, give yourself proficiency in water vehicles to represent your uh, little sand skiffs, because I imagine yeah. they would use sails. Kind of like those ones in Avatar, I guess. Yeah, yeah. like the ones in Avatar. Yeah. yeah, and uh, give yourself proficiency in water vehicles because of that. That'd be pretty cool. Come up with some reason why you left. You know, maybe an artifact was stolen mm. from your tribe, and that's why you're adventuring around looking for it. You have literally no clues to go off of. Or you have one clue to go off of, and it's, you know, a driving force for the party at the beginning cool. or middle of the campaign. Or, you know, something is happening in the desert and you need to find a way to fix it. Um, another cool idea from Memnon, well, cool depending on who you are, is you're retired, old, yeah, and no one's hiring you as a mercenary for your for the trips through the desert because you're old yeah maybe you know you retired you had a family the family left died your kids moved away and you're like well i guess i'm going back to the sword there's nothing else for me my kids left the roost and well all i've ever known is the sword so i guess i'll pick it up again but no one's hiring you and so you're you become an adventurer because like it's the only thing you ever knew mm -hmm. and you can't make a living of it at home anymore because people just see you as an old family person yeah and you want to retain you want to relive your glory days and this is how you're level one because you had that full 20 years of raising a kid exactly like yeah so you lost you lost all your shit and you're trying to re get it back you're not sharp you're not in your best game right now i love this i was actually gonna say something very similar i think this is a great idea i love the kind of like uh the old guy being pulled back into it or the little person being pulled back into it i love that trope so yes i'm all for this well then there's there's also so much stuff for the party to your dm to work with there like your wife is dead but your kids are alive and they mm -hmm. left memnon the whole point is that they left memnon they moved out to bigger and better things and you're kind of lonely now right yeah so you've got these kids that your dm gets to place literally anywhere in the world 
because mm. you don't really have telephones. Like you don't know where your kids are. Yeah. They just left, you know? Also, you get this cool arc of maybe one day you get to go back to Memnon with your adventuring party and do some big deed, some do, do something of notoriety and everyone kind of gets to be like, oh shit, we're sorry. You really did prove yourself, buddy. We shouldn't have thought you were just an old retired, yeah, yeah, you know, stick in the mud. And then maybe that's how your character gets written out. Yeah, they finally find yeah. find their former glory they wanted in Memnon, and then you get to make a new character. I think that's a really great idea. Playing too on like the old washed up or the old adventurer. I think it'd be fun to make like a Captain Ahab character who got their leg bitten off or arm bitten off by a purple worm, and they're just like. I'm going to kill that worm. Yeah. And so they're they're going out adventuring to like power to power up and grew to group and like we need to kill the worm. <laughs> and they're like there's yeah. a bunch of them in a desert and they're huge. No. That'd be cool too. And, yeah. And that one. That one. <laughs> the purple <I> that. worm. <laughs> I love that. I think that'd be great. Real quick, another cool character. Yes. The um one with a fear of elementals. Ooh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And so like we played in one campaign um, Curse of Strahd, where our fighter Gunderson Senshi, he around his neck wore a mummified werewolf's finger, Ooh. and he was terrified of werewolves. But mm. he was hunting a specific werewolf, and so it was like his his whole character arc was having to reckon, like um, reconcile these two facts about himself of right. wanting to hunt revenge and justice on this specific werewolf whose finger he got, but also his terrifying crippling fear of werewolves so he actually imposed the fear condition on himself every time we encountered werewolves and it was actually really fun because like there was this one part where we got to this bridge that had large gates before the bridge and so like every Mm -hmm. time we fought werewolves which are a big part of curse of strahd we would plan the battle map around herding them towards the fighter oh yeah because he had action surge he had two long swords and so what we had to do was find a way because he has disadvantage on his attack, sure, right. but he just can't move towards them. So he, we would, we would before they actually, because sh- mm-hmm. you can usually hear a werewolf coming. They really like howling and shit. We would place him in the most optimal spot, like a choke point, yeah. and then try our best use every spell and everything we have to like grapple and throw them towards gun. Mm-hmm. And it was fantastically fun and something like that, but with the elementals would be really cool. Yeah, yeah, that'd be awesome. Yeah, that sounds really fun. Damn it. Okay, I got another idea too. Because we didn't really talk about this last week with Sophia. I think it'd be great to play a character from uh, this area, follower of Immalter, and is full anarchist, no gods, no kings, and is just going around Faerun after being freed from Kalanchan and being like, everyone else needs to be free but like i'm not even just talking about like any lord do you have a lord you're oppressed i'm gonna fight and like get you out and there just has that like strong sense of freedom for all <laughs> yeah yeah i like that you'd be like a little uh, anarcho-terrorist exactly <laughs> that's it for our journey today remember to fill your water skins every time you get a chance next episode we'll cover teshiel and the desert at large thank you lily for joining me yeah no problem also, thank you for the amazing cover art. Yeah. And Blood and Dust for the theme music, Around the Fire. You can find them on Bandcamp. Links in the description of the episode. Please remember to rate, review, and subscribe at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And have a great long rest. Wow.